The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the show. Great to have you here. I am uh, just quickly reading through chat here. I want to uh, start the program by having everyone send good vibes, health, healing vibes, love, and prayers to our friend, Pippi Lover, who is in our chat room in the Twitch channel, uh, going through a bit of a rough time, some health issues in his family there. And please send some vibes, uh, all those good things, you know, health, prayers, vibes, all the right ones. Send them to Pippi Lover in our uh, Amazon chat room. Also, I want to say thank you to Gwendolyn White. Gwendolyn is in our uh, YouTube chat room right now. Gwendolyn became a Patreon supporter of the program. Thank you for doing that, Gwendolyn. We really appreciate it. And I know, you know, we don't ask uh too hard for that but it does when people do it it means so much it's so important for us uh because despite the fact that um you know we we changed our format to a degree in the sense that we don't have and if you remember the 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 show previously we had oh man 11 minutes no so 22 21 or 22 minutes an hour of breaks so i think it was 39 minutes of actual program and 21 minutes of ads and other break material that's how much we used to have to run advertising and we've gotten away from that format so in order to cover some of the costs of doing the program we rely on folks like gwendolyn uh, to support us through the patreon channel or through super chats in the chat room here in youtube or whatever it happens to be again we don't you know, we don't require it, we don't even expect it, but we do appreciate it so very much when people take the time to do that. And if you'd like to be a supporter of the program on Patreon, you just go to Patreon and search for, for uh, Joha Productions, J-O-H-A-W Productions, and you'll find it, and then you can support the show. It's very easy to do. So anyway, thanks for doing that. I want to uh, say that tonight we've got uh, who has someone who's become a, a rather frequent guest of the show, and we... Love having him on. John Russell has been here a few times already in the last three or four months. But every time we have him on the program, we end the show with more left to talk about than we started with because we go in so many different directions with John. And he's so knowledgeable about all of them. And I'm anxious to pick up where we left off. However, because, you know, the news changes, things in the news and things that are what we would consider to be current events as it relates to the paranormal, changes over over the weeks. Uh, some of those things will be tweaked, and we'll be talking about some of the things that are maybe in the news more recently. So that'll uh, that we'll bring him in in just a minute. And of course, that when we bring him on, the hour that we talk to our guest goes by very very quickly. I expect this to be no exception. Uh, I did want to mention that um, if if you if you are a fan of our paranormal, uh, no, excuse me, if you're a fan of the political show which you know is called The Independence Gang, and it airs Monday, Wednesday, Friday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern on the Independence Gang YouTube and uh, Twitch channels. And it's also available as a Roku channel. The Independence Channel is available as a Roku channel, which is kind of cool. But even more cool for this talk is the fact that we have a an Independence, or excuse me, a Roku channel for Beyond Reality now. So in addition to having the Roku channel for the Independence Gang, which is called the Independence Channel, we have a Beyond Reality Roku channel as well. And the programs, they're not live there, but just like you can watch them on YouTube after the fact, we put them there after the fact. Uh, Slick Eddie does that for me, uploads them, gets them on there, 
and they're available uh, on there, like you know, as as though you were watching Netflix or whatever. It's really kind of kind of cool. And I've noticed that since we started that, the numbers are pretty impressive. There are a lot of people. And the funny thing is, I you know, up until three months ago, maybe four months ago, I had Roku on a couple of my televisions. I just never paid attention to them. Like, ah, what's this? You know, it's another kind of gimmicky thing. But it's really a lot more than that. I was, and when I started to explore it, I came became very impressed by it. And I still am. And then I looked into, okay, how do we become part of this? And I realized that uh, we could actually do it. And we did it with the Independence Gang and now with the Beyond Reality program. Now, my my quest here is if you're familiar with Roku, they have a thing as you're scrolling through their their, their show options. It's live, live TV on Roku or something like that. And you can go to that. And then it looks, it pops up like, you know, your normal channel guide. You just kind of scroll through all the channels. And they've got, it's like live TV. And I want to have an Independence Gang live TV channel, and I want to have a Beyond Reality live TV channel. The Independence Gang live TV channel on Roku would feature political discussion, current events, that kind of thing. And obviously, Beyond Reality one would be all paranormal programming. Not just me, not just my program, not just this show, but all sorts of shows from other people as well. Maybe we can even get John Russell to do a show if we end up putting this together. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, so a lot of stuff in the works. And again, the Patreon stuff, that helps us get the because it's not cheap to get this stuff done. I found that out. It is not cheap. Uh, what else do I have to bring up? I think that's really all that I wanted to chat about here as we uh, open the program up. So we'll go to break and we'll get our guest again tonight. We're going to be talking with John Russell. John is the author of a couple of books that I highly recommend. The first one he wrote was called Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead. And the second one is A Knock in the Attic, both very, very interesting books, particularly if you're really into the paranormal stuff. So uh, check those out. His website is johnrussell.net. We'll take a break. We'll bring John in, and we will begin this conversation. It's Beyond Reality. We'll be right back. Hey, it's JV here. You know I've asked for your support in the past, and I'm going to do it again because it's really, really important. And there are a couple of ways you can support the show, and it's so inexpensive. Now, you can go to Patreon, and you can become a Patreon supporter, and we really, really encourage that. But there's also another way. If you look at the description of the podcast, Podcast. If you're a podcast listener and you scroll down to the bottom, there's a way to support the show directly through the podcast app. And it's only 99 cents a month. It's less than a buck. You probably have that change in your couch right now. That dollar a month, less than a dollar, goes a long way in helping us produce this program, provide great interviews for you during the course of the week. I thank you in advance because the support is so important to the program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've been trying to catch up in the chat room to say hello to everybody. I'm sorry if I've missed a few of you folks as everybody uh, files in here. Uh, it's hard to keep up with some, with it sometimes. But hello to everyone I've missed. Just to address Pippi in our uh, Twitch chat, uh, do you still do the Friday night show? We try to do the Friday night show. We do the political show on Friday nights now at 10 o'clock, and sometimes we try to do the other show afterward. Uh, but that's, it's it's a bit challenging, so sometimes we move that to Saturday. So the best thing to do is hit notifications so that way you'll know whenever we go live. 
on any of the channels that we have. It seems like the number of channels seems to multiply. Tonight's guest is a returning guest, one of our best guests and a good friend of ours, John Russell. And uh, he's the author of a couple of books that we love talking about. One is called Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead. The follow-up to that was called, or is called, A Knock in the Attic. John, welcome back to the show. Good to have you on again. Uh, JV, bless your heart. I appreciate it so much. Uh, we always have such a good time, and you're you're such a good friend to me, and I appreciate the uh, the introduction. You know, this is my fifth interview now, so this is uh, this is exciting, man. It's kind of becoming a regular thing, isn't it? It is. It is. I enjoy the heck out of it. We always have a lot to talk about. We have a lot of fun. Uh, we get a lot of good information out there, I believe. Well, I think we do too. And as I said in the opening of the program before the break. Uh, you come on, we have a lifted list of things that we want to talk about, and it seems like by the time our our time runs out, we have more things on the list than we started with. <laughs> exactly right. I'm not exactly sure how right. that happens, John, but it seems to happen every time you're on. But I guess that's the it, sign of a good does. discussion, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. And uh, we have a ton of stuff to talk about tonight, a lot of exciting things about the UFO disclosure and uh, tons of good stuff. Yeah, I, before we get into specifics, I want to get your sense because uh, you know you're you're a practicing psychic as well as an investigator and an author, right. and has such a wealth of experience. From a psychic perspective, John, how do you feel? I feel something weird is going on, and I'm not. I don't feel like I'm sensitive at all. So I don't. Right. I, it, but right. something feels strange to me in a in a in a spiritual sense. Are you feeling that, or is it is it all in my head? No, it's not all in your head, JV. I tell you, there has been some really strange paranormal energy that's kind of floating around the sphere here. And I think a lot of it has to do with the disclosure report. I mean, like, why now? Uh, why this amount of disclosure? Why these specifics? Because they were very specific uh, in, this, uh, in this report. There's a lot of gems in there, if you look at it closely. And uh, beyond that, I have been feeling, and I thought maybe it was just me for a while, I have been feeling some kind of strange energies, a kind of strange whatever that's going on, and then in talking to a lot of people, they're feeling the same thing, and they're feeling the same way as you, feeling the same way as I am, and uh, it's, it's like something's happening, something's going on, and of course I think a lot of it has to do with the continuing behind-the-scenes with the politics and the, the world powers that be and all that stuff that we're battling against and dealing with uh, forever and a day. So it's, a, it's an interesting time to be alive right now. At the risk of bringing too much politics into this program, I try to keep that line a little bit delineated here. But, but, but this, is some, this is something that I think is worth talking about uh, from, with someone like you who has a sense of these things. Do you think, you know, we often talk about the struggle of good and evil in a spiritual right. sense. You know, we, we'll, we'll go as, as detailed as talking about demonic possessions or demonic entities in, in uh, homes or whatever it happens to be. Right. You know, so we're often talking good and evil. But on a grander scale, there's often discussion of this good and evil playing out in our governments and before us. Without getting, oh, yeah, without getting too political here, do you do you have a feeling or a sense that we're actually we are seeing a struggle between good and evil on the world stage, whether it's in the U.S. government or in world governments? Absolutely, I do, and I have for quite some time. And I think that you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist; you don't have to be psychic to perceive that. All you have to do is look at uh, 
the way that world governments work, what they do to their people, what they do to their populations, uh, everything is, well, I'll give you a quick example of a buddy of mine uh, in Ukraine who's a Ukrainian national. And we became real good friends, and we talked frequently. So while the governments and the newspaper and the news are giving me one story, he living there in the Ukraine, being Ukrainian national, gives me the truth, gives me what's really going on. And, uh, of course, the uh, they had the big uprising there in Ukraine against their leader, who was basically a Saddam Hussein type, and that he had, you know, this collection of I can't remember how many cars, and he had these palaces, and he had these, you know, phenomenally expensive things, while a lot of Ukraine, like a lot of people in Russia, there's a, a lot of poverty there, of course, like there is in the U.S., there is all over the world. But the point being that in all these places, these these despots live like literal kings, literal gods, while people are begging for bread in the streets and, and various places, or at least struggling to pay their bills. And so Ukraine rioted. They had war. They had, you know, he, he sent me videos of things that were going on in Ukraine. And they rose up against this the, their leader in Ukraine. And it was a, a bloody conflict. There was a lot of battle, a lot of wars in the street, a lot of rioting, a lot of shooting, a lot of Molotov cocktails, a lot of fires, a lot of burning. Militaries got involved and on and on and on. When the dust settled, they ousted him. They got a new ruler, new leader, and he tells me, he says, you know, we went from the frying pan to the fire. Yeah. He said, this guy's as bad, maybe worse, mm. you know. So all over the world, we look at these powers that be that there's there's some huge flaw, J.V., there's some gigantic flaw in a lot of human nature. And I've always said you could take, and, and this addresses what's happening in government, you could take ten people, Put them all together. Every single one of them has perfect health. They have all the food they want. They have all the clothing they want. They have the house they need, the car they want. They can go on vacation. They can do anything they want. They're not under any financial or spiritual or emotional or psychological or spiritual pressure. And one of one of the, out of those ten, one person out of those ten is going to look at the other nine and go, how can I control these mothers? How can I get a hold of what they've got? How can I get them under my thumb? And this plays out in governments worldwide as a natural part of our fallen human nature. And then behind the scenes in all of that, I do believe, yes, that there is a cabal of some sort that is hell-bent on imposing its will upon humanity at large, upon the world, and developing this control that we saw exercised with Hitler, for example, and with other uh, dictators throughout the, uh, the ages. And the inhumanity that they uh, display in ruling their people, I mean, they're, they're not above killing Tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of their own citizens. They're not above jailing people for opposing political views. They're not above torture. They're not above all of these things. You know, there's been a lot of people that have, a lot of these rulers that have uh, unleashed chemical and biological weapons on their own people that wanted to, uh, to you know, revolt against them and so on and so forth. So, and it seems like there is this unified effort behind this, a very dark, unified effort behind all of this that keeps it going. 
and makes it difficult for us to revolt against it. And I think the reason that we have problems revolting against it is because we're approaching it from physical means and from political means and not spiritual means. And people have lost the realization that our spiritual power is the real power. And when we come together spiritually and learn to manifest that and direct that power, that's when we're going to make some effort against these people. That's when we're going to do some good. Okay, one more question about politics as it relates to this spiritual spiritual discussion, then we'll move on. But, um, you know, it's it's easy to see the differences between, say, a Chinese communist government or the, 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 the scenario you described in Ukraine or right. Russia or some of these, you know, uh, totalitarian systems. It's a little less uh, clear when we look at our, our, our own government. But is, does that struggle exist here in the United States, in the hall, whether it's the halls of Congress or our state houses or wherever it happens to be? Oh, absolutely. You see people getting thrown under the bus all the time for this ideology or that purpose of this thing or that thing. Uh, that occurs all the time. And uh, it's like my friend Ukraine said, you know, he said, well, at least you don't have bribes like we do here. Here, yeah. if we want to get a good job, we have to bribe somebody. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, 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 wait, yeah. buddy, we have bribes. They're they're called, uh, uh, what's the political term? Help me, JV, I forget right off the top of my head. Grift. Lobbyists. Grift, low lobbyists, yeah, right, that's right. Yeah, so they're called lobbyists. And, you know, with that's, that's bribes, man. You know, you come in and say, hey, we'll contribute this or we'll give you that or we'll do this or we'll do that. And it goes into the medical community. It's well known that, uh, you know, uh, pharmaceutical reps will come in. And they know that they've scoped out the doctor in advance. They know he's an avid golfer. They come with a brand-new set of the latest best clubs pre-measured to fit him and go, hey, you know, uh, recommend our pill, and these clubs are yours, man. You know what I yeah, mean? That's yeah. uh, It goes into upcoding in the hospitals and in the medical community. And what upcoding is, and look it up. I mean, all of this is verifiable. This is not tinfoil hat stuff. It's all verifiable if you do the the modicum of minimal modicum of research. Uh, upcoding in the in the medical community, you go in, you go, man, I've had this headache for a couple of days, and you have bad allergies. You have a bad sinus infection or whatever. Man, I've had this headache for a couple of days. I can't knock it. Okay, well, you know, it's probably just maybe allergies or sinus infection, but it could be a brain tumor. You know, you've got great insurance, so we're going to check you. We're going to do yeah. the MRI, the CAT scan, whatever, and check you for the brain tumor just to make sure. And and they know it's not a brain tumor. You know, they know you're, everybody's allergies are seasonal. Everybody everywhere is having all kinds of problems with them. You come in, nine times out of ten it's going to be that, but they're going to upcode you. You've got good insurance. Well, let's see what else we can run. Let's see what else yeah. we can do. Yeah, it's so a it's, business. It's everywhere. Bit, yeah. Uh, the medical profession has has now more than ever become a, a, just a big business, and it's all about oh, revenue. Bottom and line industry. It's amazing. Bottom line industry. I've got a very and, very close friend who's a vice president at a, at a, the local hospital here in where I live, and uh, he tells me these stories all the time. and And it seems awfully callous when they start talking about every patient is is revenue and and what exactly. you know how they can get the exactly. most from them. It's crazy. And that goes back to our loss of contact with spirituality. Our loss of contact with empathy, humanity, sympathy. Yeah. Our loss of contact with the planet itself, with the Earth itself. Let's as we're talking about governments and we're talking about conspiracies and agendas. Let's talk a little bit about this UFO report. I have some ideas. I have some theories about this. You know, the Congress demanded that the Department of Defense provide them some a report 
that was right. to outline what they know and what they have been seeing as far as unidentified, as as they say, aerial phenomena now. It's now UAP, but we know right. it better as unidentified flying objects or UFO. UFOs. Yeah. Right. So this report was presented. It it seemed to me to be a lot of nothing. What I mean, it was a lot of words, but it didn't really tell us anything. Did you do you think otherwise? I think there are some gems in here, okay, and I'll tell you why. I, I went through the report with a fine-tooth comb. Uh, it's nine pages, and I think out of that, three or four actually have anything. But reading between the lines, um, it's a preliminary assessment, so that means more is coming, okay? Um, the report contains unclassified information, as stated on the pages of the report, so you know there's a much more in-depth report that was submitted to the officials that is classified, and Scuttlebutt was like it was anywhere between 70 to 90 pages, something like that. And you know that contains much juicier material, and some of the people that I know, contacts that I have, uh, stated that there were some really juicy parts in the classified report, which unfortunately we haven't been privy to yet. Right. But uh, the thing that I like about this, uh, the, the little report that came out, if you really, really look at it, there's some very interesting things in here. Uh, one thing, they finally called the UAPs, UFOs, they call them a threat. Uh, page two of the report says the purpose of the report is to um, submit an intelligence assessment of the threat posed by unidentified aerial phenomena, UAP, and the progress, the Department of Defense Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, UAPTF, has made in understanding this threat. So for the first time, our government is coming out and saying, hey, these things are a threat. And they go on down further, and uh, they say that UAP clearly pose, uh, pose a safety of flight issue and may pose a challenge to U.S. national security. Now, this is a big departure, J.B., from back years and years ago, when I was writing to the government and the military under the Freedom of Information Act and saying, hey, if these things are posing a threat to our national security, I want to know. I want to know what's going on. And the standard response at the time was to send you out a copy of the Blue Book report and a form letter that said, we've investigated this and we don't find anything to it. And, and if there is, it's certainly not a threat to national security. Now, what was it, three or four years ago in the New York Times when they very first started reporting all of this, it became, it's a threat to national security. So now they're saying in the report, this is a threat to national security. There's a threat to our airspace. There's a threat to pilots. It uh, poses a safety of flight issue. So they're saying that officially in the report now. So that's flip-flop. That's done 180-degree change, okay? Um, one thing that I found very interesting uh, one of the recurring uh, sound bites that we're given is that we just don't have the technology to get clear images of these yet, uh, which I've had people that I know that know people in the know that say they've got uh, 4K high-res photos of these things 50 feet away from the pilot's aircraft. Okay, um, And what makes me believe the veracity of that is that all of the alphabet agencies were involved in providing input for the report. That's listed on page two. There was all of the alphabet agencies, a lot of them I know of, some I hadn't even heard of. They were all involved in this. Now, why is that important, and why does that play into we've got to have good pictures of this thing? 
Well, going back to something I believe we may have discussed on a, uh, a past show, I was watching a documentary on TV where one of our former heads of the CIA said, back during the SR-71 Blackbird era, and we're younger people, people may not who know that may not know what that was. The SR-71 Blackbird was our premier spy plane, fastest flew, plane. Yeah, yeah, it flew in subspace. And it flew so fast that nothing on the planet could catch it or shoot it down. Okay, so the uh, the d- former director of the CIA said, while the SR-71 Blackbird was in service, if you put two golf balls a couple of feet apart on a putting green, and the SR-71 flew over in subspace at speed, and took a picture as it flew over, when you develop that photograph you could read clearly which one was the McGregor and which one was the Titleist. (laughs) And then he says, imagine what we can do now. Okay. Now that's our, one of our former heads of the CIA that said that I saw this documentary personally. Okay. So if that was so decades ago, then don't tell me that we can't get clear pictures of these things. Now, you know that we can. Okay. Number one, number two, Somebody in the government has to know what these things are and what's going on. It's just ridiculous to assume that someone doesn't. For all the intelligence we have, for all the technology that we have, for all the capabilities that we have, you're telling me that these things have been coming here doing this for all these years and we don't know what's going on? I cannot buy it. I simply cannot buy it. Somebody has to at least have a good idea if not firm knowledge of what's going on. Yeah, I have a couple, so of, I have a couple of comments of what you said already before we get yeah. much further here. Uh, yeah. You talk about the, th- the, the acknowledgement of threats uh, in this right. report. Do you read, though, th- that acknowledgement as being the Department of, De- of Defense saying, we feel these are hostile incursions, therefore they're a threat, or is it more along the lines, we don't know what they are, therefore we have to assume... They're, well, they, we have to be prepared for them to be hostile or be a threat. They could be Chinese, they could be Russian, they could be whatever, or they could be extraterrestrial. But if we don't know what they are, we wouldn't know how to stop them, so therefore it's a threat. I mean, do you, do you take exactly. get one of those senses either way, or is it both? I think both. I think both. And if you look at the pilots, the pilots are saying, as we approach these things, our weapon systems go offline, and we're defenseless. So they interpret that as at minimal a threat, a, a provocation, and at the worst, an act of war. Yeah. Okay, so our, our pilots are saying that now. So I think it's both. And I think it's also the fact that, hey, the government has admitted now uh, these things are here. We can't control them. They control us. We, we can't catch them. We can't outmaneuver them. They, um, they manipulate us at their will, and we can't do anything about it. So I think there's both there. And then um, the, the other thing I want to comment on is this picture yeah. idea, because you're absolutely right. We can have yeah. a satellite take the picture of a pimple on somebody's ass. And, exactly and, right. And, exactly and right. it can be clear, and you can count the number of hairs sticking out of it. I'm sorry to be so yeah. gross, but it's true. And yet, it's true. And yet we, can't, we can't get a clear picture of whatever these things are that are flying around out there. That just seems completely unreasonable to me. Yeah, it's absolutely ludicrous, and especially on page three, they admit that UFOs are physical objects, and they say, quote-unquote, most of the UAP reported probably do represent physical objects given 
that a majority of UAP, majority of UAP, were registered across multiple sensors to include radar, infrared, electro-optical, weapon seekers, and visual observation. Okay, So they know these things are physical. They're admitting they're physical. They're saying that they're there. Uh, they're presuming they're a threat because uh, of the, um, the actions that have happened towards uh, aircraft carriers, for example, uh, towards fighter jets and so on and so forth. So this, they're acknowledging now, hey, yes, these things are physical objects. They're not imagination. We don't cause them. We don't envision them. They're here. They're physical. They're there. We're registering them across multiple sensors. We have reliable eyewitness observation. Uh, here they are. Now, we have enough books, uh, The Day After Roswell by Philip J. Corso, which I highly recommend, uh, and, and on and on and on. We have enough of that that we can say, hey, there are people in the military that know what is going on and know what has happened. Okay, So we have to put that into, plug that into the, uh, the equation and then wonder why they're not telling us what they're telling us. Now, uh, one of the things that uh, has surfaced recently is that Lou Elizondo, I saw him in an interview the other day, and this guy asked him, he said, Lou, he said, if you were able to tell us, and of course Lou relies a lot on, upon his non-disclosure agreement and it's, you know, top secret clearances and things, which is understandable, that's, that's respectable. Sure. But uh, he, he asked Lou, he said, Lou, he said, if you were able to tell us right now all the classified things that you know and all of the classified things that others know that you know of about the UAPs, UFOs, whatever you want to term them, he said, what, what would be the outcome of that? So Lou sat there a little bit, and he kind of got somber, and he said, well, he said, if I were able to tell you everything that I know to the American public, he said, the American people would be very somber for about a day. Hmm. Yeah. And then he said, following, some people would lose their religion, some people would <laughs> go to religion, and, and so on and so forth. There'd be a variety of actions. But he said the American public would be very somber for about a day. So that is, a, is an interesting statement. And Lou has done everything short of standing up and yelling, hey, people, it's E.T. Yeah. I mean, he has stated, and the government has stated, um, these are not ours. We don't have this technology. We don't have this capability. This is not human technology. There have been, like Chris Mellon, I believe, said that there's been a lot of people in government and the military that have said that. Lou Elizondo has all but stood up and shouted it from the rooftops. Hey, folks, this is not ours. <laughs> okay? So that's, that's one of the interesting things coming about. Um, one of the things that I liked uh, in the report was from page four, the UAPTF focused on reports that involved UAP largely witnessed firsthand by military aviators and that were collected from systems we considered to be reliable. And then they finally acknowledged the socio-cultural stigmas attached to the reportings of uh, UAP. So they're saying, yeah, we created this. Uh, you're going to lose your flight status. Uh, you're going to be kicked out of the military. You're going to be made fun of. If you talk about this, 
it's forbidden. Uh, we acknowledge that we did that, and now we're hoping you can come forward and, and talk about this. Because, I mean, the public pressure is mounting, the mili- uh, pressure from within the military and from in Congress, from all these leaks is mounting, and so they're going to have to do something. Now, here, here's – let me throw my – theory out to you on this report yep. and tell me what you think i could be way off base on this but it's, I, th- I think it's interesting enough to talk about so here you have congress ask for this report you've had a department of defense and a maybe even a, a deep state you know f- part of the government that's that's holding on to secrets that it, is holding right. on to them right. you know with a tight grip does not want to let go of these secrets so they have the congress order them to produce some information. So they put together this report and they submit it to Congress. But here's the thing that I find interesting. A lot of the videos that have been circulating in recent months or even years, the last couple of years anyway, that are are videos that have been taken by military personnel or aircraft or whatever it happens to be, that they that serve for the basis of a lot of this chatter. You know, these are the things that they're that are being referenced. I know a couple of guys who have taken a couple of those videos and with a great deal more smarts than I've got, have put together very, very convincing explanations for what these things are. I mean, to the point where you watch, you know, they have a six-minute YouTube video about it, and they explain how the, what, what's going on in, in a particular video. Right. Let's say it's, I don't know if you remember the names, but there's one called Go Fast, there's one called Gimbal, Tic Tac, and, and there's one, the right. Triangle Pyramid. And they explain these things, and you're watching, and you say to yourself, Absolutely. There, there can be no other reasonable explanation than what we just heard. And it's a very, very reasonable and normal explanation, if you will. So if my buddies can do this on YouTube, you know damn well that there are people in the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, that can do the same damn thing. So this is oh, what sure. I this is what I sure. think, John. I think that this whole report and everything in it is a big misdirection. They intentionally didn't explain a lot of these things because if, oh, they, if, if they don't explain them, they keep us guessing. And then we say, and we come up with, like my buddies did, come up with a normal explanation. So we poo-poo the whole thing and we, we exactly. move on and they can keep their exactly. secrets. That's how yep. I see it. It's a misdirection. I think it is, too, and I think that uh, what I've been telling people all along with this, even though there are some gems in it, uh, you know, it's up to us to do something with those gems. And the only way that we're going to do that is the old-fashioned way. We're going to have to keep the pressure on the military. We're going to have to keep the pressure on the president. We're going to have to keep the pressure on the Congress. We're going to have to keep the pressure on science. And, And that doesn't mean that, you know, 5,000 of us write a letter to our congressman, and then we quit and go, oh, well, we tried. It means that millions of us bombard the White House, bombard Congress, bombard our congressmen and say, hey, enough of this nonsense. We know there's something real out there. We knew that before you told us. We've experienced it. We know it's there. Come clean. What's going on? Quit hiding behind the veil of secrecy and let us know what's happening. Now, if a million of us do that, you know, boom, that gets the attention of somebody for a month. And then if we go away, if we sit back and open our can of beer and watch our TV and say, man, I wrote my congressman, I did yeah. my part, boom, we're dead, we're, we're dead in the water again. But if the next month a million of us do that again, and the next month a million of us do that again, and that's what we're missing right now. It's up to us. Disclosure is up to us. We have to put our leaders' feet to the fire, metaphorically speaking, and say, look, we're not going to take these these little 
dollops and dribs and drabs here and there. You know, we're adults. We're intelligent. We can handle the truth. We want to know the truth. It affects our lives. It affects our future on this planet. It affects how the planet goes. It affects our politics. It may affect our religion. It may affect a number of things. So, hey, come clean. And if enough of us in power, in unison, keep doing that over and over and over, I mean, right now, who's doing that? You know, nobody's doing it. People went, oh, we got the report. Okay, yeah. UFOs. Oh, I wonder if the beach is open this weekend or if they've <laughs> got it closed down because of COVID. Right. You know, and that's where we're at. And we've got to get out of that mindset, JV, and we've got to get into warrior mode and say, hey, the government have just told us these things are real and they're here. That's a big step for our stupid government, even though they are still obfuscating things. Let's take that and let's run with it and let's metaphorically put their feet to the fire and let's say, hey, you know, more and be honest and let's get this stuff out there and let's be real with this stuff. Come on. And, I mean, it's got to the point, J.V., that there are some people that I've dialogued dialogued with that uh, I said, you know, hey, what would your response be if, with or without government sanction, ETs came down and appeared in public and there was a face-to-face, you know, Here's, here's an alien species, and there's a, a face-to-face interaction for the first time ever in, in recorded history in our lifetime. What would your response be? And most people didn't even have a uh, – it wasn't even a blip on their radar screen. And, I mean, looking at their support, you could conjecture that that's going to be possibly imminent in our lifetimes, you know. So we have to take it seriously. We have to keep at it. We have to keep on it. We can't fear it. We can't, uh, we can't get negligent. We can't, you know, this, this is a historic time in history, if we, a meaningful time in history, if we will make it so. And that goes back again to it's up to us, man. We've got to band together. We've got to put all of our energy together, all of our knowledge together, and we've got to be able to do this ourselves. And, uh, you know, let's, let's kill the... Uh, you know, it could be ours, could be Russia's, could be China's. Look, if it was Russia's, we'd be going to uh, Moscow to make a pilgrimage every year to pay, you know, hail to Putin. Uh, let's yeah. be realistic. Yeah. And, I mean, the UAP, UAP report said some observations could be attributable to developments in classified programs by U.S. entities. And then my emphasis, we were unable to confirm, however, that these systems accounted for any of the UAP reports we collected. So they're saying, hey, it ain't ours, you know. And, um, uh, again, everybody's been coming forward and saying, not our technology. Humans can't do this. We don't have this. This isn't our capability. So, you know, it's time for us to rise up. You know, people think that we're powerless and we're not. Uh, We're powerless when we try to defeat the system by the system's means. But when we realize that we have this spiritual power inherent that we can rely on, we can develop, we can coordinate, we can even coordinate with the earth itself and its power, and we can bring that to bear on circumstances, situations, people, sicknesses, illnesses, political systems, when we finally grasp that and grasp the reality of that. And that's why I do what I do and why I appear on these podcasts and why I talk and why I do all these things is like, People, this is real. The spiritual dimension is real. I have pictures. I have videos. I have eyewitnesses. It's real. And if we can grasp that and band together and learn to utilize that together for positive means, 
we can overcome this stuff and we can get answers to this stuff. But we're not going to do it going, oh, well, they sent out a nine-page report. UFOs are real. How about that? What's on TV tonight? (laughs) That ain't going to cut it. You know, we've got to do something. Yeah, that's part of the problem with any any um, advocacy. If you're gonna if you're gonna advocate for a few minutes and then resume your life as normal and not pay attention to it anymore, we're not going to get very far with anything. Exactly. If you really have exactly. to commit to the commit to a cause. Uh, yeah. I just want to remind folks: if you're joining us uh, late, we're talking with our good friend John Russell tonight. John is the author of a couple of books. We highly recommend them. The first book. Uh, kind of it chronicled your uh, first of all love for, for motorcycles, right? Plus, uh, you know, you went around, and visited some some haunted places, and talk about some ghosts haunted and stuff. Places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the first book, and I hope everybody will pick these up. I need to buy some French fries with my hamburgers. So <laughs> um, uh, writing with ghost angels and the spirits of the dead focused on a narrow period in my life of about a year or two where uh, I've been a biker since I was 15. I've got almost 114,000 miles on my current bike alone. And I begin to have these really incredible, even by my standards, because I've had over 1,000 physical paranormal manifestations I've experienced. And even by my standards, these these experiences were just mind-blowing. And they were mostly centered around my motorcycle rides, including to some historic places like Bonaventure Cemetery in Savannah and so on. And uh, I said, you know, I've got to gather these together and make them into a book and show people what is happening out there in reality with the spiritual, with the paranormal, the psychic realm, what it meant to me, what I learned from it, what maybe you can learn from it, and how we can make our lives better by understanding that. And then the uh, second book, which was a long time in the process, a long time in the writing, went through several iterations. Uh, a Knock in the Attic is actually a prequel of sorts to writing and goes back to when I was five years old. Um, the portal was open to all these paranormal manifestations at the age of five. My psychic gift was activated between the age of five and six. And then it covers what it was like to grow up being psychic and to have all these paranormal experiences and into my adulthood and into to finally all these moves to Florida that uh, preceded uh, writing with ghost angels and the spirits of the dead. And it's full of just mind-blowing, incredible paranormal experiences and supernatural manifestations and spiritual insights and, and spirituality versus religion and good versus evil, all these things. All of that plays out in a knock in the attic. Uh, so those are those are well worth doing. And then I'm working on the third book. So I'm still working on that, 20 Ways to Increase Your Psychic Abilities. And uh, it's going to be a... Um, one lesson per chapter, taking a specific thing, like the first chapter covers psychometry. It defines what it is, explains what it is, teaches you step-by-step how to use it, how to get good at it, and then the real-world application of it. And then I I have other books planned after that as well. So all that's coming, all that's in the works. And then I still do readings for a worldwide clientele. So anybody that wants a psychic reading, they can get a hold of me. We'll schedule that. But uh, that's all the good stuff I'm doing there. John, just this is kind of a weird question, I suppose. When you write about these experiences and this information, and uh, right. you know, as you're going through that process, does that, in its way, manifest anything? Do you get do you get you know activity yeah. around yeah. you or yeah, in, when you're yeah, doing that? Does. Yeah, sometimes when I'm writing, there will be manifestations around me, 
And uh, a lot of the times it's just my guys. I, I affectionately call everybody on the other side that's my guardian angels, my gods, whatever. I have a lump sum an umbrella term for them. I just call them my guys. And a lot of times my guys will let me know that they're there, that they're uh, looking at something or seeing something I've written, they'll manifest things around me. But I have this occur all the time around me in the house and uh, wherever I go. And uh, so it's it's kind of a normal thing. And, uh, you know, I, I've always been a portal, a magnet for the paranormal. And this has always occurred, uh, whether I'm seeking it or not, it's always been there. And it's the only life I've ever known. I've never been frightened of it. I've always been uh, comfortable with it. Uh, it's served me well. It's saved my life many times. It's served my worldwide clientele well. I've read for, I had to update my website and I realized, my God, I've read for clients in over 40 countries now. And to be wow. able to serve that many people and uh, to help them, because I get client feedback constantly. They're saying, man, all the stuff you predicted came true. Uh, the, your, your insights were accurate. The stuff you told me helped me. I, I did it and it worked and, and all this. So how can it get any better than that? You know, it's like that's the greatest thing there is. Is it a physical thing or is it is it a spiritual thing or maybe it's a, it's a third option that I haven't uh, I haven't mentioned here. But for some people like you and I know a few other people that have this paranormal magnetism, if you right. will, uh, what gives somebody that versus somebody like me who I mean, I've seen I've had my share of experiences, but I've had to look hard for them. You know, they don't they don't just come to me. Right. Uh, they don't fall in your lap. Yeah. yeah. So what is it, John? What's the characteristic, it's, do you think, that makes gift. that possible? It's a gift. It's purely a gift. It's just like and I tell everybody, you know, people say, well, isn't everybody psychic? And I said, well, yeah, everybody's psychic to the same way that everybody can play piano. I may study piano for a year and barely be able to do chopsticks. Uh, you know, uh, some other uh, Harowitz may have sit down at the age of six and been playing Beethoven without lessons and trained his, his gift and went on from there. So everybody has different levels of ability, and everybody's going to plateau. And thankfully, I can say after all of these years and after reading professionally for over 50 years, being a paranormal investigator since the age of 12, doing all these things, I have not plateaued yet, thank God. I am still learning, still increasing. The gift is still getting better. Things are still happening. It's, it's a marvelous thing. But that's me, and not everybody is that way. And that's why people go to psychics. It's like, you know, hey, I can't get this guidance. I can't get this input. Help me. And that's what we're there for. Well, uh, we, legitimate ones. Legitimate ones. Yeah, and, you know, we, we absolutely appreciate people like you that have these sensitivities because you like the way for a lot of us, you know. Yes. Um, like I said, I've had experiences, but it's so refreshing to talk to somebody like you who's had way more experiences, but also has a real calming sense about them and, and seems yeah. to be able to understand the source and the and the motivation and the connection between our, our physical world and this other world that we're getting glimpses yeah. of, you know, uh, on occasion. And that's, that's what I, you know, like Skinwalker Ranch. Let's talk Skinwalker Ranch a little bit because that's really been big going on now. And if people have been watching Skinwalker Ranch on the History Channel, they will see that the scientists there, you know, the scientists, well, show me, let's get it on camera, let's get it on a sensor. It's not real unless, okay, well, you got it. They've seen UFOs now in each season several times with their own eyes, on camera, on instruments. They've seen paranormal manifestations happen. Now, the problem with, look, I'm not, I'm not kicking science in the knee, okay? I'm not doing that. Uh, but like Stanton Friedman wrote, you know, science has been wrong a lot of times. Sure. 
Um, so uh, what I am saying is that if you take uh, Skinwalker Ranch is a really good example. If you take cameras and sensors and meters and all this out there, and you get a an indication of a manifestation, which they have done with their cameras, with their sensors, with their meters multiple times, and you get that, uh, the scientists go, there's our data point. We got something. Yeah, but what did you get? Who manifested it? Who was behind it? What spirit or entity or intelligence was behind doing that, and why? Was it just to get your attention? Was it to see if they could intimidate you? Did they have a message to get across? Was there some deep meaning there? Was there a spiritual revelation? Were they trying to say, hey, dummy, I'm trying to tell you don't take that flight next week? Was there a warning? So that's what we have to understand is it's not enough to turn the cameras and the sensors and the meters on things and, and say, oh, wow, yeah, it's there. We really got it. It really is there. And we've demonstrated it over and over. Well, big deal. What's there? Who's there? Why is it there? Yeah. What is it communicating? What is it manifesting? That's what you have to do. And I, I, uh, I tweeted Brandon Fugel, the owner of Skinwalker. I tweeted him on Twitter, and I said, Brandon, I said, dude, you know, send in the wizards, man. <laughs> you know, you've got the, all the science is great, but you got to send in the wizards. That's when you're going to get the results. And I don't mean the people that are like, oh, I've seen the aliens and they're dressed in pastel and they look like Indian gods and they have belly buttons and all this. Not these idiots. Not this nonsensical nonsense. Get you some vetted, serious, credible, psychic, shamans, mediums, whatever, and send them in there, and let's hold a seance every night for three, four weeks. You know, uh, let's get the dowsers in there. Let's get good psychic mediums in there. Let's get these people in there, and let's get them to contact these energies and these spirits and see what they'll tell us, see why they're there, and so on and so forth. And look, a lot of this stuff on the the planet that we're so confused and amazed and bewildered by is just a natural part of the planet. Uh, the the Jewish rabbi that went in there and did the uh, the ceremony, you know, he's an expert in the Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism, and he did the ceremony. And when he did, the portal opened, and they caught it on camera. And there was a twenty degree measurable temperature drop. They got all that. And he was telling them, look, there's, there's creatures here, there's spirits here, there's beings here on this land that have been here for forever and ever, a long time, right? And we have to understand that, yes, it is a paranormal realm in comparison to our daily lives, but it's part of this planet. There are other entities, other spirits, other beings that live here, that interact, that are in different dimensions, that come in and out of these dimensions, and some of them may live physically on this planet as well. And I have seen things that convince me of that. So, You know, I suppose, John, if, if it was sim- as simple as setting up some, you know, scientific equipment and having right. some scientists run some tests and observations, they could just sit in a lab and do it, and they'd get, you know, ghosts and spirits uh, reacting all day. But it's far more complicated than that. You, as you said, you, and you, you kind of, you know, explain this in a lot more detail, but you need a catalyst of some kind. You do. You absolutely do. And you have to understand, in spite of what some popular and famous UFO researchers have said, you can't make an appointment with the UFO, okay? I mean, they've managed to provoke some things on the ranch, and they've managed to cite UFOs a couple of times, and apparently in reaction to what they have done. But 
one of the banes of all paranormal investigators, myself included, is you can psych yourself up beforehand. You can communicate to the other side beforehand. Hey, I'm going here. I'm going to be here at this time on this day. I would appreciate and welcome any and all experiences, communication, manifestations, whatever. All the conditions can be right. The full moon can be out. Bats can be flying around. You can have chill bumps up your spine as you go there, and you get there and do the investigation, and absolutely nothing happens. You know? Yeah. And then you can be walking to the grocery store, looking at your grocery list, and boom, you know, there's some incredible paranormal manifestation. So we have that this, this fickleness about the other side. There's always been, and everybody that's truthful will acknowledge this, there has always been this uncertainty, this fickleness, this this uh, hazy thing about the other side. And um, that's one of the things that frustrates us in our investigations and in what we're seeking and in what we're trying to do. And part of that may just be the veil. You know, we believe there's this, this veil that separates the physical realm from the spiritual realm. And sometimes that veil's a little thinner. We can see a little clearer. We can get a little better communication. And the analogy that I always give there, when I was growing up in West Texas, I had a friend that was a ham radio operator. And on a good, clear night with perfect conditions, we would sit in his house and talk to people in England and Australia and talk maybe 15, 20 minutes, and it sounded like they were right there in the room with us. Mm. The next night, he might not be able to raise somebody across town. Right. You know? The conditions were that bad. And I think we have to realize that there are similar conditions that um, affect paranormal communication, uh, supernatural paranormal manifestations, psychic communication, so on and so forth. And that's why, look, that's why everybody does what they was, you, uh, what they do. You go to church, you sing hymns, you try and raise the consciousness, you try and get God there. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And you do all this and you pray. You're trying to create an environment that's favorable to a spiritual manifestation. Um, people that practice uh, voodoo and, and so on and so forth uh, go into whirling dervishes and do this and do that. They're trying to create that environment where that God will come through, that spirit will manifest. We meditate, we pray, we play music, we burn incense, we chant, we use singing bowls, we do this, we do that. We're trying to create that environment where the veil thins and the other side comes through. That's what that's all about. And apparently it's, it's very difficult to do because even with all of our knowledge, we still have a great amount of difficulty doing that. I mean, for example, look at EVP. For all the books on EVP, for all the research into EVP, for all of our technology, we still get... <laughs> you know, it's like, dang it, what? What did he say? Yeah. And it's, 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 it's real frustrating. So we have a long way to go, and that's why I say, look, science isn't even close to catching up with any of this. You know, I tell people when I go on paranormal investigations, I take the most advanced, most technologically sophisticated, most cutting-edge, state-of-the-art equipment that there is, and that's me. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I say that too. When when folks ask me what should I, you know, what should I buy to go paranormal investigate, and I said, well, you know, it's always nice to have a, a camera that record audio and video. That's always nice because you can substantiate yeah. things. But the best equipment you've got are your ears, your eyes, your the hairs on the back of your neck. You know, That's all of the things and that that incorporate the human form can help you exactly. investigate better and, than and any your electronics. Senses your sensitivity to connect with the other side and to receive that message, that vision, 
that picture, that interpretation, that whatever. That's that's the absolute best you can do. And that's, you know, I, I hate that we become so reliant on science now. It's like we got to have our EMF meter and we got to have our camera. We got to have this. We got to have that. All those things have their place. I'm not denigrating that. And I'm not denigrating anybody that does that. But I'm saying, hey, we're in danger of losing the fact that I need to go in there as John Russell as a psychic without anything and go, okay, guys, I'm here. Talk to me. What you got for me? And the great thing about doing that. It's like we, you know, we say we make you get EVP and you may get and that's it. And and with communicating psychically with these spirits in these places, I get long, sometimes paragraphs long, accurate communications in my head, two-way conversations with these spirits. That when I've done paranormal investigations, uh, they've been able to verify what I've told them or what's come through. They've been able to say, yes, that person lived here. Yes, that happened here. Yes, this was the situation. And so that's that's still the best, the most accurate thing that you can do. You mentioned, you know, we talked about the fact that some nights you can go through all the same routine and you can catch a, 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 a treasure trove of interaction right, right. And, and evidence or whatever you want to call it. And then in the, and the next night you can do the same things and come up with nothing. Do you, have you found, John, over the years that there are certain conditions that help uh, spur on this activity, whether it's weather conditions, atmospheric conditions, uh, uh, ground conditions maybe? You know, I mean, we often talk I about have, things like running know, water, have, anything like I that. I have tried to examine and, uh, and investigate and ascertain all of that and have not been able to yet. <clears throat> Excuse me, the, the one really great thing that I have personally enjoyed about my psychic gift over the years is that it has always been on. Uh, it never goes off. It never shuts off. It's 24-7. There's never been one single person I've met that I couldn't read. They might not want to hear what I've got to tell them, but there hasn't been a person yet that I couldn't read. And that psychic gift, that psychic connection is always there. And for the overwhelming most part, uh, the connection with the paranormal manifestations, with those experiences is there, but I'm kind of lucky in that sense. I'm a magnet. I'm a portal for that. And I have, I think, more of these demonstrable physical experiences than anyone else that I know of. And like I say, these are things, I don't dream them. I don't hallucinate them. I don't meditate them. I don't envision them. These things occur physically on the physical realm many, many times, witnessed by other people, a lot of times caught on camera, video, audio, um, so it's it's just something that uh, I feel very very blessed with. Uh, it's a it's a very very special thing for me. And uh, again, in this day and time, going back to what we started with, with all of these things that are going on, it, it seems more important, more imperative to me than ever that we understand our spiritual connection to the other side, to the earth, to these things and how to develop that and work with that to band together. You know, why do we have church? We come together to increase our power, to come together as individuals coming into a unit with a goal, with a purpose. Why do we have a voodoo ritual? Why do we have a seance? Why do we have anything? We're coming together as a group. Look, there's always more strength in numbers, right? Always, regardless of what you're doing, there's more strength in numbers. And, but we have to be so careful with this, J.B., because there's so much idiocy, there's so much nonsense out there in the spiritual realm, the religious realm, the paranormal realm, even in the UFO realm, 
and we have to be so careful where we tread that we don't drink the Kool-Aid, we don't get wrapped up in some goofy thing that doesn't work, um, that we, we have to diligently seek what does work, and then we have to subjugate our egos to that. And by that, I mean the, a lot of times you get a group together, you get people going, and it's like, well, I think we should do, or I read this book, and we should do, or we should meet at my house because I, you know, and that's the death knell of everybody coming together and trying to accomplish something. What we have to do is look at an objective, getting the truth out of the government, overcoming evil, um, sending healing energy to people. We have to define that objective, and then we have to say, okay, let's try this and see if this is effective. Has it been effective? No, well, let's try another technique, and let's try that. Is that effective? Pretty much so. Well, let's do that and then integrate something else. And this is what we have to learn. And there's there's just, you know, everybody's a psychic, everybody's a tarot reader, everybody's a paranormal investigator, everybody's UFO expert. BS, no way, not possible. You know, I started studying this when I was age 12. I'm 67 now. I've done this professionally for 50 years, um, you know, and been a paranormal investigator since age 12. I've studied everything on the planet I could find religiously, paranormally, spiritually, psychically parapsychology, everything, read in depth and depth and depth and depth, looking for answers. What's real? What isn't? What works? What doesn't? How can I increase this gift and make it better to serve people, to help people, to, to move people toward a, a positive spiritual experience? And that's where the work is. That's what you have to do. And it's not glamorous. It's not fun. doesn't get you on Oprah. But uh, that's that's where it's at. Yeah, I, I just glanced at the clock, John. We've only got a few minutes left. I, I mean, again, oh my God. yeah, it's crazy. Oh my God. It's crazy. I do want to touch uh, Skinwalker Ranch for for a second. I haven't watched the yeah. program. I tend not to watch a lot of programs like that because I'll tell you, I'll tell you I why. You. I I prefer not to see things through the filter of a producer's lens, if you know what I mean. Exactly. They, oh, I do know. I do you know, know. Yeah. I, I'm familiar with a lot of these places. I'm familiar with a lot of people who've done firsthand work at these places. And, yeah. uh, you know, my conversations with them or reading their work or whatever it happens to be is far more genuine to me than what we see on these television shows. What's your impression of the Skinwalker show? Well, absolutely, because I think the uh, – look, we go back to what we've discussed before, that a lot of these shows are meant to plant butts in the seat and gain advertising revenue. Yep. And, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to people – uh, besides yourself, that were behind the show, behind the scenes, rather, and a lot of these popular shows on TV, big popular paranormal shows, in either a production capacity or, or whatever, and they have, and some of the uh, on-air talent, as a matter of fact, and some of those people have told me that you know they were asked to, can you cry on demand? Yep. If something happens, can you scream and run from the room? Uh, you know, so it's it's all a melodrama thing designed to get people there to, oh, did you see that? And and plant butts in the seat and sell advertising, and that's all it is. Most of these shows are not the real deal and are not meant to in, to uh, disseminate factual, helpful information to the public. And so I agree with you there 100. percent It's like you know, there's there's just so much. Uh, in that area that needs to be done there, I would have given my teeth if my TV pilot had aired. Unfortunately, it didn't. I think we would have set the bar for everybody to come because we did it in a respectful, um, intelligent, um, really educated, sane and sound manner. And we got 
a, a ton of stuff, manifestations on film, on tape. Man, we got this stuff. It was there. We got it. And uh, But we did it in a way that was respectful. It made sense. It, it had a story behind it in the sense that, as we have been talking about, this is why these entities came. This is what they were communicating, so on and so forth. So, uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. I, I see, uh, again, uh, looking at the clock here, I see in the notes that you sent, Eddie, that you uh, had something about uh, stars in the night sky that you wanted to talk about. Have you touched on that? I don't think so. I don't think we've... No, we haven't. We've never discussed that before. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll get on that real quick here because it really is bizarre. It's really unusual. The first thing that happened was when I was a, a young child, and I went with my mother to uh, visit some friends of hers, and uh, they had a boy about my age, and we would play together while they visited. And so we parked facing this vacant lot. This is in West Texas, and the vacant lot was full of mesquite and cactus and dry brush, and it was during summer and just hot as all get out. You know, think sticking your head in a pizza oven and, oven and trying to breathe, and that's West Texas in the summer. So we parked on the wrong side of the street facing this vacant lot, and uh, we went in and visited, and when we came out, it was uh, just nearing dark enough twilight that you would need to turn on your headlights to drive. And, of course, we and we didn't have an air conditioner in this old car. God, I remember that. You just sweat your head off. And uh, we had left all the windows down, of course, <laughs> and no point locking the doors because the windows are down. So we get in the car, my mother starts the car, and falling down in front of us from the sky, up close, I mean right in that vacant lot, that close to us, comes this five-pointed pentagram, the star. Now, we all know a star is a round shape. Our sun is a star, right? Yeah, right. But this was like the, the pentagrams you drew in grade school for your star pictures and the, and the pictures you did with crayons. And it was about the size of the side of a house, about that tall. It looked to be like an inch, about a, not an inch, about a foot thick uh, and flat. It wasn't bulbous. And it was glowing bright yellow, and it fell like in slow motion into this vacant lot, kind of trailing this little phosphorescent trail, phosphorescent trail that disappeared as it, as it went to the lot. And it fell down into the trees and then winked out and disappeared. And my mother was in an absolute screeching panic. She said, John, my God, roll up the windows, lock the doors. And I was wanting to get out and go see what it was. <laughs> and she's like, roll up the windows, lock the doors. She's starting the car, and she's starting to drive off. And I said, Mom, wait. As dry as everything is, if this thing is, is something fiery by chance, shouldn't we wait and see if the lot catches on fire? And our friends are going to be in danger next door, and we have to call the fire department or whatever. So we sat there a little bit, and, and nothing happened. Uh, so she drove off like super speed, and I can't remember how far it was away from there. She finally let me roll the windows down, so we quit suffocating in the, the heat. And, of course, I peppered her with questions that she could never understand. And uh, so that was one of my first very bizarre star experiences. Yeah. And then uh, when I was married to uh, my second wife, we had this apartment, and I've, I've always loved to sit out and look at the night sky. And I've been an outdoorsman all my life and, and always roamed the woods and, and left to be out during the day, left to be out at night. So I'm sitting on our balcony, and I'm looking up at these stars, and the star flashes at me. And I'm, okay, so I wave at it, and when I wave at it, it flashes at me again. So I wave at it, and it flashes back. So she happens to walk by the balcony, and she looks out, and she goes, what are you doing? I said, come here and look at this. And she comes out, and I said, watch the star. I said, see the star up there that looks kind of reddish? She said, yeah. I said, watch this. And I wave at it, and it went blink, 
blink at me. <laughs> I waved at it and it went blink, blink at me. And she goes, I'm going back inside. <laughs> and so she went in. And then uh, the other really bizarre star incident, and I write about this in my book, Writing with Ghost Angels and the Spirits of the Dead, this was uh, the end of that day's adventure. I had come in, I was sitting on my balcony, and it was night, and I was uh, enjoying a libation and had the tiki torches going and listening to music. And uh, I looked up in the uh, the sky, and the star came shooting at me, straight at me, mm. and then split into two, like far enough apart that it looked like eyes were staring at me. And I said, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm hallucinating, I'm sick, something, I looked around. But I didn't have double vision because I looked at everything else. Everything else was perfectly clear. No double vision. I look back up, and there the twin eyes are staring at me. And I'm like, holy cow. And then they rejoined into one and shot back up off into the sky. So all of my life I've known that there are things happening in the atmosphere, in space, in the stars. And uh, these are some examples of that. And you can read about that in detail uh, um, in my book. Riding with ghost angels and the spirits of the dead. So, but John, so, uh, John, in, as you as you analyze those events, you know, and you put them yeah. together, obviously spans right. of time in between them. Uh, sure. Were they? I mean, there weren't stars, obviously. Do you think? What do you think they were? Were they were they representations of some type of spirit activity? I think they were representations of some type of spirit activity. I think there were maybe disguised communications from craft or spirits or entities or beings okay. or whatever up there uh, because they they uh, tended to appear as stars initially. Well, like, with the exception of the pentagram, uh, everything else uh, initially appeared as stars and then, you know, made the unusual manifestation. So we have to say, okay, there are things up there that are either utilizing that appearance or disguising themselves with that appearance and communicating with us if we'll pay attention, if we'll look up. And then that opens up a whole other thing of, okay, who's up there? What's up there and what's going on? And I, I cover some of that in that book, Riding with Ghosts, because um, that one particular day, um, it, it was just phenomenal, JV, because I had this, uh, this idea in mind of this particular spiritual communication that I wanted to experience. And not only did I get that, but I got like six, seven, eight of the things culminating in the star shooting down, splitting into two, and it looked like two eyes staring at me and then rejoining and going back up. So uh, there's, you know, there's so much out there uh, that is absolutely, totally, completely real. Uh, we don't have all the understanding of it. We want to. Why? I don't know. That's one of the things I continue to, um, you know, to continue to push forward, investigate. But I do know that it is, it is absolutely real. Uh, it has saved my life many times. It has helped others. It's healed others. At the same time, it's kind of like with the UFOs, you know, uh, abductions, cattle mutilations. Uh, we have healings, and then we have people that still die, uh, regardless of if they've done the same thing that the person got healed uh, did. And uh, so those are the things that we continue to try and figure out why and focus on and investigate and you have to be intrepid, and you have to be honest, and you have to get rid of your preconceived notions. You have to get rid of your rid of your uh, dogmas, your traditions, your rituals, your particular belief system. And you have to say, okay, show me the truth. Wherever that truth leads, I'm going to follow that. 
and if it destroys my belief systems in the process, so much the better. So that's that's one of the things that we have to begin to do. And then again, uh, you know, in, in resolving all of these things that we're dealing with right now, health issues, diseases, uh, the problems on the planet, everything else, that is going to be met with spiritual power, not with dogma, not with tradition, not with ritual, not with the churches, not with spiritual movements, but with learning real spiritual power, how to connect with that, how to manipulate it, how to focus it, and then getting together so that we have power as a large group and focusing that power to the good. And when people begin to understand that, that's when we're going to make some progress. John, your books are available. First of all, your website's johnrussell.net. Are the books available there? And if yes or no, where else are they available? Yeah, they are available there. I've got links for them there. Uh, They're also available at Amazon, Books Million, uh, Barnes & Noble, and then a bunch of mom-and-pop stores. I've got links to those on on each individual book's website. Uh, Walmart and Target carries them online, so you can get them there. So they're available everywhere. I think we got through three of the things we wanted to talk about. The, the list is up to about 14 or 15 that we haven't gotten to yet. It, I know, it gets I know, longer I know. Each time. I got to come back soon. We got to do it again. It, we do. It's just so great. But I think we're making some good points. I think we're, we're reaching some people with some, um, some common sense and reason, some reality, and some things that they can further investigate and think about that, uh, that will help them point them in the right directions and keep them hopefully away from uh, the weird stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we just have to keep on trucking, keep pushing, keep trying. That's all we can do. That's all we can do. And I appreciate you coming here and helping us do it, John. Thanks so much well, for I being I appreciate you. I appreciate you for the platform, and you're a good friend, and we have a lot of fun, and we'll do it again soon. I hope you promise that because I always enjoy I it. I do. All right, great. I do. Great. I will be there. All right, perfect. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Beyond Reality. back to the show love having john on the program as uh, many of you in chat mentioned he's a great guest and we always have so many different ways we can take the conversation but i know one thing for sure is we never get to everything that we had intended to talk about we got like i said this i've got three pages of things that he and i have discussed that we wanted to chat about and uh <laughs> instead of getting finishing one page off i, I basically i just keep adding to the list so that's great and it means that um, we'll have a chance to have him back on soon and we'll continue the conversations i have to hear something check one two check one two hmm. my ears are playing tricks on me um let's see what was the what was our poll here for th- whether should we do three trivia questions for scooter the answer uh is we'll see what, what it comes up as uh looks like it's an overwhelming yes should we do 84 percent say yes 15 percent say no well, we're missing one percent i guess it's just the rounding error so I want to know who, the folks who said no. Why you don't like trivia? Is that the problem? 
Or you don't like trivia for Scooter. Is that the problem? Scooter's probably one of the ones who said no. Scooter is probably one of the ones that said he didn't want him. Oh, <laughs> uh, I wonder if uh, did those polls that we've that I did tonight in here did they um did they get saved so I can go back? I don't know if I can go back and look and see what the results were because I'm sure, I want to know what, how many people thought Scooter was wearing tidy whities I think it was like eighty six percent, something pretty high like that. All right, here we go. Trivia question number one: In 1975, three beloved works of art were stolen from the Ducal Palace now known as the National Gallery of the Marches in Urbino, Italy. What were the works of art? What were they? God, there's so many beautiful works of art in Italy and in France, most of Europe, but those two countries in particular. In 1975, three beloved works of art were stolen from the Ducal Palace, now known as the National Gallery of the Marches in Urbino, Italy. What were the works of art? So, uh, Rebel, the the no votes were because they want more than three? (laughs) Wow. Greedy. If I were to do more than three, I'd run out of questions before. So we're on on April 29th. April 29th. Once again, the question. In 1975, three beloved works of art were stolen from the Ducal Palace, now known as the National Gallery of the Marches in Urbino, Italy. What were the works of art? What were they? I have no idea. I don't know. Um, uh, let's say uh, something from Da Vinci, something from Michelangelo, and something else from... Uh, I can't come up with another one. Another Italian Renaissance genius. But the question was, 1975, yeah, this is a tough one, guys. 1975, three beloved works of art. Okay, we all know the question. I'm going to go to the answers. They were, the three works were Raphael's The Mute Woman and uh, Piero del Francesca's Flagellation of Christ and the Madonna di San Gialli, uh, Senegali. Wait, no, what? Uh... Oh, I guess they were both from uh, um, Della Francesca's. Um, <laughs> the Flagellation of Christ and Madonna di Senegalia. Senegalia. My Italian should be better than this. Used to speak Italian. Uh, fortunately, the paintings were later recovered. Okay, question number one is done. Here we go. Question number two. So far, Scooter, you're not scoring very well. Okay, number two is, what are the full names of the Brothers Grimm, the duo behind the classic fairy tale and folklore collection, Grimm's Fairy Tales? What are the full names of the Brothers Grimm? No cheating, Scooter. No Google, no Bing, no phone, none of that stuff. What are the full names of the Brothers Grimm, the duo behind the classic fairy tale and folklore collection, Grimm's Fairy Tales. Uh, was it Tom and Bill? What are the full names of the Brothers Grimm, the duo behind the classic fairy tale and folklore collection, Grimm's Fairy Tales? Gwendolyn, I, don't, I haven't seen Gwendolyn's name in the chat for a while, so she must have just stopped in to say hello. But again, thank you, Gwendolyn, for uh, your, your Patreon support. Appreciated very, very much. Very much appreciated. Biden and Harris. Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
What are their full names? Yeah, I need to I need to block. I know. I know, Fiddy. I know. See, the thing is, he can't type fast enough to get the answers before I actually read the answers. That's the problem. No, he knows better. He knows better not to not to Google for answers. Jonathan and Herbert. What are the full names of bro of the Brothers Grimm, the duo behind the classic fairy tale and folklore collection Grimm's Fairy Tales? The answers Jacob Ludwig Carl Grimm and Wilhelm Carl Grimm. I love these Germanic names. Jakob, Jakob Ludwig Carl Grimm and Wilhelm Carl Grimm. Their work has been credited as leading to the birth of the modern study of folklore. Interesting. And guess what, Scooter? Guess what? You lucked out because our final third is a twofer. It's twofer. We're going to do these rather quickly. Who is Popeye the Sailor's arch nemesis in the classic animated TV show and comics? Everybody knows this. Now, here's the thing. I love Popeye. Love those old Popeye cartoons. Because if you, if you ever listen to the things he's muttering... As he's, you know, as he's going through the cartoon, he's, he's constantly muttering things to himself. And they're, they're hilarious. <laughs> these little, there's little comments and commentary on what's going on around him. It's, it's, they're really funny. It makes the, the cartoons the most. The newer ones didn't do that, but the early ones did that. Who is, who is Popeye the Sailor's arch nemesis in the classic animated TV show and comics? Bluto, when did it change to Brutus? And why did it change to Brutus, right? It changed to Brutus at one point. Or is that later or is it the early ones? Fiddy, you, you don't know what you're missing. Got to watch the early Popeyes because they're just, the muttering is hilarious. Yeah, it's it's Bluto. Um, yeah, okay, so here, here the answer is. Uh, Bluto is the answer. Later redubbed Brutus. Like Popeye, Bluto is a sailor. Unlike Popeye, Bluto is greedy and violent and often hatches devious plans that Popeye must foil. But it doesn't say why later redubbed Brutus. I don't understand. Why did they do that? Did they do that because of the Disney dog, Pluto? It got confusing? I don't know. Or maybe there's a copyright thing? Who knows? Final question. Here we go. What best-selling author debuted with a novel titled Going Home in 1973? That wouldn't be Stephen King, would it? Is that too early for Stephen King? What best-selling best author debuted with a novel titled Going Home in 1973? I, I don't know why I said Stephen Probably because it's the only author I really know. <laughs> That's probably why I said it. Not because I had any real insight that it might actually have been him. <laughs> hmm. What best-selling author debuted with a novel titled Going Home in 1973? Who would that be? Yes. 1973, Going Home. Carrie. Danielle Steele? That could be. That could be.
question was, what best-selling author debuted with a novel titled Going Home in 1973? And the answer is Danielle Steele, who's known for her best-selling romance novels like The Promise and Heartbeat. That's right, Gene. It was Danielle Steele. And, uh, yeah, uh, that's the thing, Scooter. Danielle Steele used to write under the pseudonym Oliver Klozoff. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight. Tomorrow night, the Independence Gang, 10 p.m. Britt runs the board for the second time. We'll see how that goes. I, I had to edit the hell out of last night's program today um, because of uh, his first time running the board. It was kind of funny. But uh, tomorrow night, I don't even know who our guest panelists are. I don't know offhand. He's been doing most of that for me because I'm just too busy. Uh, but it'll be good, I'm sure, with a lot of great things to talk about in the news. If you're into politics or if you're into just discussing these ideas, 10 p.m. Eastern on the Independence Gang YouTube channel. If you have not subscribed to that channel yet, even if you don't like politics, even if you don't like or won't watch, please just go and subscribe. We need the numbers. It's all about numbers right now for us. We have to build this that channel up to 1,000 subscribers before we get the benefits uh, that YouTube has for, for, um, for uh, publishers, for producers. So we're trying to get there. So thank you to everybody for being here tonight. Thank you to John Russell. Great guest, great time, great conversation. Appreciate all of you, and I will see you next time. Love you all. Take care. Have a great night. Cheers.